Hi, welcome to Get Mad with yours truly. I have a very, very special guest, uh, Mr. Don Jeffries, and we are going to do something a little different here. We're going to pay tribute to, in my opinion, and many others, one of the greatest television shows to ever, ever be produced, ever be made. Welcome, Don. Hey, glad to be here, Chris. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. We'll talk about something different today. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We got the Twilight Zone, folks. The Twilight Zone is an American science fiction horror anthology television series created and presented by Mr. Rod Serling. And it ran for five seasons on CBS from October 2nd, 1959 to June 19th, 1964. Now, Don, how are you intro- introduced to uh, this classic piece of uh, television? Well, I was a, a, a wee lad when it was on when originally. So I, I, I barely, I may have watched an episode or two kind of when I was really little when it was first run, but I don't really remember it because it wouldn't have been one of my the shows that my my father my father you know back in back in America 1.0 the uh, the fathers controlled the television sets. Is anyone <laughs> back there kind of test? It's quite opposite now because the programming is all geared to men, but. Um, and that was yeah, when television was a piece of furniture, actually, too. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But, you know, I, so I got to watch what I got to watch, you know. When, when my dad's, you know, countless Westerns and detective shows and whatever wasn't on, then I then I could slip in Andy Griffith or something. But uh, I don't think he I, – I wasn't old enough really to appreciate Twilight Zone then, and I don't think he liked it. So, But I kind of vaguely remember seeing an episode or two. But it was probably um, – one, I would say I probably really didn't discover how great it was until maybe, uh, I would say, the late 70s or something like that when I first got my VCR. And I was, I'd, when VCRs came out, I was like one of the first people to purchase one and I had to have it. So, uh, I ran down and I think paid 800 and some bucks for you know, this huge <laughs> dinosaur <laughs> thing that was, I think, they didn't, it was probably they like didn't, a Betamax at that, t- at that point, right? Well, there were Betamax and VHS and I just picked VHS and, for the, one of the few times in my life, uh, you know, I picked the one that became popular. Although, <laughs> so you know, obviously, Betamax I thought was better, but uh, VHS is the one that uh, that I picked, and so I, I built up a huge library. And you know, that was back then. It was like twenty over twenty bucks for a four hour tape. It didn't even go up to six hours. So, uh, but I, oh, wow. you know, I wanted to <clears throat> tape all these old shows, so I just started taping Andy Griffiths and I. Little Rascals and Twilight Zones, you know, Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, Leave It to Me. It was all the things that I loved in old movies, but uh, whatever JFK assassination specials were at. But so I, it, we're, that was the first time I had seen the Twilight Zones because they were in, you know, they didn't rerun like when I was a kid. I didn't, they weren't part of the rerun schedule like when I could watch shows and they, they weren't like Andy Griffith and Lyle of Lucy and all those. Uh, yeah, syndication wasn't really a, a thing yet until like the seventies, right? 
Yeah, it, not as well. They had some, but they tend what they tended to do. Like I remember when uh, I, I fond memories of being a kid when I would uh, play hooky from school. You know, as a little kid, my mom never questioned me, and uh, I would you know stay home for the day. And uh, they had they basically had their their shows. CBS had uh, until the soap opera started. They had uh, Dick Van Dyke, Andy Griffith, I Love Lucy. Their their shows that they've been on their network, and they would broadcast them. They would show the reruns. So yeah. I enjoyed that, but uh, for whatever reason, on the Twilight Zone, most of the big shows were CBS and Twilight Zone was. That wasn't part of their uh, their, and I, I guess it's because it was different because all those shows were comedies and family friendly comedies. Twilight Zone was this really iconic uh, iconoclastic series. Well, Don, yeah, that, Don, I can help fill in part of this for you if you want. It depends sure, on what sure. market you were in. Because what what market were you a kid in? Uh, you know, like in in well, let's, Washington D.C. market. Okay, so that is a decent sized market. It's not quite New York or LA, but it's a decent sized market. Now you've only got about eight major television markets at that point, right? In the uh, in the early seventies, here's what happened with with Twilight Zone, as did with Star Trek. Okay, uh, they w- made their own syndication deals. Gilligan's Island, also, right? So mm-hmm. these syndication deals went out, and what happened was they were cheap really really cheap and they got sold to the independent stations yes yep. and so what happens is in new york city for instance uh again one of the major uh, media markets we had wpix which was channel yeah. 11 and that thing ended up carrying the honeymooners ended up carrying mm-hmm. star trek ended up carrying uh twilight zone and it was so cheap to carry it that the uh that that it was easy for an independent station to buy into these things independently. Now you're right, CBS would run these sort of like iconic shows, you know, in their dead spots. And of course, remember this folks, TV went off the the, the air at a certain time of day. Uh, that's <laughs> yes, right. At yes, midnight. Yes. At midnight. Well, so. but by the time by the time by the time it was a local UHF channel that ran Twilight Zone and they would run two episodes that's when I first started watching them. I would watch them uh, before I went to bed because right. uh, I was working day shift then. And he, I, I never could go to bed early. So I think they were on at midnight and 1230 or something. And uh, so I started watching them and I, I just started realizing how great these episodes were. I'd kind of seen them here or there, but uh, that's when I first started realizing how great it was. And I bought the Twilight, a couple of Twilight Zone books. I had, as a kid, I had, because I liked that kind of weird stuff, I had, um, Bought Twilight Zone paperback books, and they had uh, Twilight Zone the, the magazine too. I was going to bring up later. Yes, on. yes, yes. Yeah. Twilight Zone magazine. I sent some short stories there and that were rejected. You know, back in the day. And, oh, uh, did you? Do you still? Do you, did they send you the rejection uh, letters or not? Even? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I have I have them somewhere with the, with the uh, Twilight Zone logo on it. So. Oh, you got to post those at some point, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the stories were horrible. I hadn't even written any good short stories yet, but. Uh, but so, just to be denied by Twilight Zone, the official magazine, yeah. that was yes. a badge of honor for me. Yes, really. yes, I was. I was so, uh, but that's when I started. Um, I, I remember it was probably around 78, 79. I remember because I bought my VCR in 79, I think. Right about the time I met, oh, I started dating her. And uh, so it was kind of a, a that was a, we, we talked about uh, 
So you, you were talking about 79 being a huge year. That was a huge year for me, really. So that, that's one other thing I forgot. I know we met my wife in 79, but I, I got my VCR in 79. <laughs> I guess, my, I guess my, my beginnings would be 1979, too. That's when my parents married. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was but, huge. You know what? It's kind of funny you say that, that I was always under the assumption that you were probably watching it as a little kid or whatever in the 60s. No, I, well, but, I would have. I probably would have, but yeah. know, again, my dad controlled the TV, so I didn't have, uh, I didn't even get to watch, you know, some of these, like Green Acres, one of my all-time favorite shows, I I didn't get to watch it until it came on in reruns because my dad had some other ridiculous show he was watching, and so we had one TV, and uh, <laughs> so I didn't I didn't get to watch it. So uh, Star Trek, I, I never discovered that. He was probably he was probably watching uh, combat with Vic Morrow, which Vic Morrow talks in Twilight Zone too, right? No, I don't, he didn't watch the, uh, combat for some reason, but uh, no, okay. no, he just it was mostly variety shows and westerns and uh, you know, and, and, like Bonanza uh, and whatnot. Yeah, oh yeah, and detective shows. You know, I'm That's willing to guess. I'm willing to guess you, F Troop was in there too. F Troop. No, F Troop was my show. He didn't like that. Oh really? <laughs> okay. He didn't like Larry Storch. <laughs> <laughs> he thought most of my shows were stupid, you know. He didn't even like the Andy Ritter show. So that was uh, like my father too. But yeah, I don't so. yeah, no, but what I, the only reason I think that's kind of cool is that uh, in the 1980s when I was hatched, um, <laughs> uh, the, before I actually watched the Twilight Zone, the thing that scared me the most was I heard that theme song late at night in the 1980s yeah. on my little Panasonic black and white. Uh, TV sure. I had as a little little kid, sure. and that was the first exposure to anything Twilight Zone was a do 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 like oh, it was it's, well, and that's what makes that's what makes the series so special is that that's just an iconic. I mean, so you know, it's so memorable to hear it, and it's so simple. Yeah, it's it's uh, and uh, you know that and and Rod Serling's voice. I mean, Rod Serling was a uh, he wasn't a natural actor or anything. He was um, uh, a great. Uh, screenwriter and uh, you know he, he wrote a lot of te- he was probably one of the best television writers in the 1950s he wrote a lot of uh, screenplays and very politically I mean pretty much straight line liberal but I you know I found out later that uh, you know supposedly he uh, he was very interested in the uh, his Jeff Guest assassination so I think he, he doubted the uh, the official version and you can see in some of his Twilight Zone scripts where it's uh, the obsolete man and, and things like that where he uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> he he delves into that. Number twelve looks just like you. I mean, a lot of these things were what I I quote from that a lot of times, and uh, you know, because it's that's one of the things I use all the time. Because in that, the character says because she doesn't want to transform into. They have like a a handful of models of beautiful people that uh, when people get to a certain age, they they're basically cosmetically transformed into them. And uh, it's, it's just a great spoof because you know, is you know, the character at one point says, you know. My father didn't believe that anyhow because he said, when everyone's beautiful, no one will be. And I use that line all the time because you can't. That's right. There's no such thing as beauty unless you have something to contrast it to. Yeah. There's no there's no uh, good if there's no evil and vice versa. Yeah. Right. I use it in our modern days when everybody keeps saying racist. I said, you know, when, when everything is racist, nothing is. You know, you can't. You have to have something to, to contrast it to. And uh, exactly. so that. So that was, it was a great point he made, but he made so many, you know, at the end of that episode, he says, it's very uh, prescient in terms of the way things are now. He said, uh, implausible perhaps, but in the age of, uh, bodybuilding and cosmetics and, uh, you know, things like we, we, we hesitate to say impossible, 
you know, and then that's exactly what, you know, he, he was already seeing how the superficial nature and look, you're talking about early 1960s was nothing compared to what we see today with, uh, you know, <laughs> the radical transformations people do and the young girls that, you know, wear such really, really heavy makeup. It's especially eye makeup. It's just. Well, they, they definitely make the term the blue hairs uh, quite literal now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, all that too. It, it, it's, but, um, so anyway, but I, had, I don't know. He had the best intro though, Don. You are traveling mm-hmm. through another dimension. A dimension yes. not <laughs> only of sight and sound, but of mind. mind. Yes, a journey into a wondrous yes, land sir. whose boundaries yes, are that of imagination. imagination. Your next stop, yeah. the Twilight Zone. Yeah, oh, it's incredible. And you know, Rod, Rod Sterling Mo- wrote the majority of the screenplays, but they had some great writers. Richard Matheson was a great sci-fi writer who wrote a lot oh, of yeah. scripts. He wrote, he wrote the, Duel. Uh, Duel. Yeah, and, and he wrote The Nightmare at uh, 34,000 Feet, you know, with William Shatner. That's one of the more episodes that people quote all the time. But my favorite Twilight Zone uh, writer was Charles Beaumont. Uh, Charles, not oh, related yeah. to Hugh Beaumont of Ward Cleaver fame, but uh, this guy, and I, when I read, when I read the Twilight Zone book, uh, I, I, you know, this guy was, he was, a Twilight Zone character. He, in real life, he was, like they said, if you went out with him, you know, if you went drinking with him or partying with him, whatever, it was like a Twilight Zone experience because you always felt like something Twilight zone might be happening. You know, because he would talk like that, he would act like that, he had an odd kind of look, and of course he died young, suitably, you know, and I'm not even sure of what. But uh, most of my favorite episodes, like number 12, look just like you, uh, Persons or Persons Unknown, both of them with Richard Long, who's one of my quirky favorites because he looked like my dad when he was young. I don't know, but I, I, but I he was totally that before. Yeah. 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 I just, and, and, uh, 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 Charles Beaumont wrote a lot of the episodes that I thought were, uh, were most twilight zone that were just so, I mean, like person or persons unknown. I just, I find that <laughs> there is a fifth dimension beyond that, which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That voice, man. That voice. Voice is, I mean, incredible. And again, this guy was a writer. He wasn't yeah. like he, he wasn't doing voiceovers or anything. He just had, you know, there's some magical uh, voice like our friend uh, Little John, you know, has great voice. I mean, there's there's some people just have those voices, you know, that are uh, or even Angry Tiger, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's but um, can you you guess? You probably won't get it, but you you want to take one guess at what my favorite episode of The Twilight Zone is? Oh, geez, what would be your favorite? I I would say if you're like me, it's probably not one of the more uh, ballyhooed episodes. Like person or person unknown, my favorite is not is not ever mentioned. Is like, you know one of the best. Yeah. Episodes. Uh, I, I let me think. What would you? I, I'll go with uh, uh, the obsolete man. That is a good one, but no, I that in terms of a perfect Twilight Zone concept and the way it was executed. A show, an episode called The Midnight Sun is my mm-hmm. favorite episode of The Twilight Zone. And for those out there that don't know th- about that episode, 
the concept was that the earth was getting closer to the sun and yeah. everyone was burning up and the water, there's no more water and everyone's starting to go delirious, you know, cause they're, um, they're not getting enough water and they're fighting with each other and kind of like nowadays, to, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I won't give away the, they have a twist yeah. ending. There's it's a twist. twist ending. And I think it's the perfect concept for, a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, I agree. That's a great episode. That I, but I, I, uh, that that you mentioned the twist ending, and that is one of the drawbacks of the Twilight Zone and syndication is that once you've seen, once you've seen the Burgess Meredith episode and after the nuclear yeah. war in the library, once you've seen these things, uh, once you've seen another forgotten episode was uh, a great one where, uh, and I could see them spoofing Donald Trump on that. Where, uh, the, the guy, this, this loudmouth guy, uh, makes a bet, like the guy to sh- get him to shut up, he makes a bet that he can't remain completely silent for one year. And again, I won't give away oh, the yeah. twist of the ending, but it's, it's a, it's a f- unbelievable ending. And, uh, <laughs> so you need to watch yourself. But once you've seen it, then that's the problem is that so many of these, uh, like the, the, what, like the episodes I like, persons are persons unknown. Number 12 looks just like you. Uh, oh, yeah. A number. You can't unring that bell once you already know the twist. It's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. The first time you see it is incredible, and, and it's still good. But it's uh, and the other one is the uh, number number nine will not return. Well, the one where the three astronauts come back and one by yeah. one they start disappearing. I mean, that that's that, probably my second favorite. So, and they've those had are, so many flying saucer episodes. Like I've lost count. Oh yeah, there's 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 and so it's it's that in that way it's dated because it's. It's at the beginning of the space program, which we inexplicably dropped 10 years later, by the way. Haven't <laughs> 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 returned, but 60 years ago it was cooking, right? But, yeah. uh, so, but they, but they played around with a lot of those. Uh, I did some really interesting time travel, of course, is a big, the one where he goes back in time to, to save Lincoln and stuff. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. There was, there were, you know, there's the devil episode, the howling man, which is, a, which is a classic too. And then you have Burgess Meredith would always come back and play a different character. It was great. Yeah. Well, he's in two of the, he's, he's in the one with the, uh, the meekly, uh, library, the meekly bank clerk that, uh, you know, time enough at last. He loves to read, but I won't give away the ending. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, but, and then the other one is the absolute man, which is, uh, which is he plays wanted. the devil too in a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, cause the hour they, they, it went to the Twilight Zone was on for six seasons, I think. And, yeah. Season or maybe five seasons, but season four, they went to an hour format, and it wasn't quite. It was kind of like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which has been compared to, and very similar in many ways. Alfred Hitchcock had more seasons with an hour episodes, but the half hour, I think, format worked better on both of them. Uh, the hour because it just it took a lot to flesh out those hours, and there's a couple good ones or Twilight Zone that are hours, but I think that's probably weak. It found its stride when it was the half hour format. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Like, yeah. Cause if you, too much of a good thing is not a good thing, you know? Yeah. You have to pace it a certain way and it's, um, you know, it's, it was written, I think originally for a half hour and that's what they, you know, they became good at. I mean, Rod Sterling was cranking those things out. I mean, he, it's not like, you know, his episodes are really good too, but I mean, there's, uh, right. and, and the, the other one that I really like is, uh, stop over in a small town. Yeah. And, and that's the one where the, the married couple wakes up and they're, you know, they're, <laughs> they're in a town. Again, I won't give it away because it's a surprise ending, but it's, it's, it's very eerie and spooky. And, now, uh, 
Now, how would you compare? Obviously, for me, it, it's my favorite out of all the these shows I'm about to mention. But how do you feel like the competitors compared when it came to uh, shows like you know Dimension, Outer Limits, Outer Limits? Limits you yeah. got One Step Beyond, One Step Beyond, yeah, yeah. Well, Outer Outer Limits, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Again, I didn't see Outer Limits when it was on because yeah. my dad I, my dad controlled the TV. But um, when it when I was a teenager, uh, the UHF channel near me, they started reruns, and I remember watching them late at night and loving it and th- thinking it was so great and thinking, wow, this is even better than Twilight Zone. But then years later when it came on cable and I could watch it again, I, for some reason the episodes, most of the episodes didn't hold up in the same way to me. I, anyway, it felt I mean, flat, right? It felt yeah. Flat. And, and maybe it's because of the hour format. I mean, so like there was a creepy episode that had Eddie Albert from Green Acres in it. Yeah. About the, uh, the, the uh, the town where the, uh, the, the, what do you call it, the big balls of hay or, you know, <laughs> moving oh, around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of creepy, but, um, most of them, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I just found that, uh, it's a good show. I'm not saying it's not good, but I, I think Twilight Zone has a little more of a, yeah, a they time definitely. Of, yeah, more unique. And what one step beyond, I haven't seen enough because they don't show it. In, uh, re, but uh, that had the attraction of being based on true stories, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, now, but it's just not. I've seen a handful of uh, episodes, but then you would, you, and I. So I really can't judge it. The thriller with Boris Karloff. I was going to mention Thriller yeah. too. That was even Remember. before Alfred Hitchcock, I believe. Right, right, and they're one of the cable channels here. Um, uh, started, plays it every now and then. Yeah, me, t- me, TV, and they started showing it maybe five, six, out of six years ago, and so I start. I'd never seen them before, and, and you know, it's it's similar. Some of them are pretty good. Now, I love Boris Karloff, but he's no Rod Serling. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's Frankenstein. He's the mom. Yeah, and, he, and he, he's certainly a unique character, and he, but uh, yeah, Rod Serling just had a. It was a. I think the Twilight Zone. All those other ones were. Uh, were kind it of just came awesome. from him too, you know. There was something about yeah. it. Yeah, he was he was a very uh, very unique guy, and you know he was you know he he ended up he, he was a uh, um, very socially conscious too. Yeah, That's socially conscious, part. and he was uh, he was an actual paratrooper, I think, in World War Two. He was a really little guy. Oh yeah. Uh, so he's a tough guy. I think he was a boxer too, maybe, but but he he was a tough little guy. But uh, he didn't take you know he he smoked so much, and so now it's, it's kind of sad to watch. Him smoking a cigarette all the time because he he um, he basically collapsed while he was mowing the lawn. I think he was about fifty one or something like that. Very young, and uh, yeah, he was fifty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he they uh, they supposedly you know claimed his veins were like of uh, like an eighty year old or something. I, I, so oh, I, really? I guess it was yeah, I guess it was too much smoking. And you know he never survived the heart surgery or whatever. But um, it was a shame because he looked, you know, he looked like he was in pretty good shape. He he was on that Liars Club. If you remember, our friend John Barber was a uh, <laughs> host of the Liars Club, I think, in Canada. But he, uh, Rod Sterling was uh, was a panelist on the Liars Club in uh, America. I saw that a few times, and he had he'd gotten kind of a Peter Lawford look. He had this big, you know, he had he had great yeah. hair. I mean, big, his hair had gone gray, but his big shock of hair, and uh, but you know, of course, he had Night Gallery too, which he which was okay. It was more like, horror based. Yeah, more horror based, and I, I saw that when it came on because I was a teenager, and so I thought it was really cool. And yeah, uh, I liked it a lot. Much, when it, as much control as he had with the Twilight Zone. No, no, and there's, I mean, there's some memorable episodes. There's an episode with Joan Crawford. I mean, she was yeah. a big star. It, it appeared, and uh, 
That's where but, Spielberg got his start. Directly. Yes, Spielberg, Spielberg directed that episode. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, it's interesting and, and they're, they're certainly watchable, but, um, it wasn't, it wasn't the Twilight Zone. So I think Twilight Zone was a, a, a marriage of time. And at the time, it was the perfect time for that. And, uh, it just, uh, you know, it, it just worked. And uh, I don't know how, how it would have done if they had had it on because the last season was, was kind of weak. In, in most, you know, it was, it wasn't they as, pushed him out, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, they were, and he's, uh, and of course, uh, his daughter, who, you know, Ann Serling, who I've, I've communicated with a few times. In fact, I had, cause I, you know, I have a lot of these short stories that, um, yes, and they're all, they all could be Twilight Zone episodes, cause I don't, when I write fiction, that's how influential his, his, his Twilight Zone was to me. When I write fiction, uh, I invariably go into that Twilight Zone world. Even if I'm trying to write something normal, it just, I go off in that direction. I can't, I can't stop it. That's, I always go there where I want to question reality and thus the unreals and the simulators and things like that. They're, where I'm always, uh, you know, playing around with the reality, which is what the Twilight Zone did. Uh, yeah. but she was supposed to, uh, this is a few years back, supposed to try to start a publishing company that was, uh, you know, would publish work, you know, Twilight Zoney work. And I thought, well, my, my work's perfect for that. So I sent her a story and, uh, she, I, I don't, I don't know what she thought of it, but she eventually, you know, just said it, that they were going to have to cancel it. And so I think she just canceled the entire, uh, endeavor. So I don't think she ever did start a publishing company, but, um, well, I had heard that she, uh, she was working with various production companies to actually produce a film, uh, about her father's life. That was the last time I heard anything about the estate right now. Well, yeah, that's, I'm sure she, and that will probably happen, I would think, but she's, she has a book out as we remember, as I remember him or something like that. That's, uh, she, uh, it's on her friend on Facebook. Uh, she's posted about, uh, many times and, so, I've yeah. been trying to get her on the, one of my shows too. Yeah, she uh, she's pretty busy these days, but that would be fantastic. If we could yeah, well, do, our friend John Barber did interview her years ago. He had yeah. her on there, and I think she, I think she told him that, uh, yeah, you know, the, the the network or somebody that you know, whatever. Rod Serling didn't didn't make it what he was supposed to from the Twilight Zone, which is a familiar story. You know, as I covered with everyone apparently. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> apparently so. So if he didn't, because he had control over everything. Exactly. And, uh, he, uh, still whatever it didn't. So I think he made, he made more money on, uh, Night Gallery. But yeah, certainly it's, it's, it's a fascinating, and it, it, again, it, it's so, when I think of Twilight Zone, I kind of think back of that era, 78, 79, cause that's when I, uh, I had the VCR, so I had, you know, when I couldn't, uh, Quick stop for gas. Next up, tailgate. I can't wait to start grilling all the stuff we just bought at Hannaford. Can't wait to fire up these teriyaki marinated steak tips. And this fresh salmon? Serpent turf! Hey, do you know if we earn rewards on their store brand meat and seafood? Great question, bro. We're ready to fill you up. Earn rewards on all Hannaford store brand meat and seafood. Yeah! Nice. It's simple to save with my Hannaford rewards. This summer, go to the movies. Projected on the side of a mountain. Discover a new favorite restaurant. Your campsite. Find yourself when you lose your signal. Discover a new playlist. Mother Nature. Make your summer special at the Kia Summer Sales Event with a dependable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. Kia. 
movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Event N7523. Because uh, with our schedules and everything, I, I couldn't necessarily be watching shows during the day that were rerun or not or whatever. Yeah. So that's when you could tape these shows. And so that's when I first started. That's when I discovered, you know, our gang, Little Rascals, who I, you know, really fell Oh, in yeah, love with. and the Three Stooges being played on Sunday mornings in the 1980s. Right, right. You know? the Three Stooges. Certainly, I had seen most of the Three Stooges, but, yeah, I could. And I would watch say, the Little Rascals on Saturday mornings in the yeah. 1980s. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, we, you know, we discovered, of course, that's, you know, with my, part of my courtship of my, of my wife was, you know, come on, let's watch these little rascals in the Twilight Zones. You know, so it's, it's, it's amazing uh, that it worked, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> then you're like, Oh, that's, uh, that's Robert. Uh, what's his, what's his name? Uh, uh the killer later on. <laughs> he was one yeah, of the little I mean, rascals. Was, <laughs> you know? yeah, well, that was, that was, those, those were, uh, those were that's what I was interested in, so I just assumed. No, that it, that has a charm too. Um, all those old uh, the reruns of like the R Gang and things like that. Before we go to the break, though, Chuck, uh, I don't usually uh, ask Chuck to come in because I know you know he's he's busy doing other things behind the scenes here. But can you uh, tell us what your favorite episode of the Twilight Zone was? Well, I'll tell you, I, I got I got one that's sort of like my mainstream favorite, and then I've got the uh, the outlier favorite that, that oh, I yeah, discovered yeah. later, which was uh, my my ultimate favorite one is an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which was actually not a Twilight Zone story, but was written uh, by somebody in, in France, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so, and there, there's hardly any dialogue in it. It is not a super popular episode at all. It's got a weird yeah. play length. Everything. Uh, <laughs> well, for those that are not familiar, can you just tell them the basic premise? Yeah, basic premise is uh, you're obviously looking at something that's meant to sort of mimic like a, a, a civil war kind of situation. And uh, somebody's about to be hung off a bridge. The guy drops, the rope breaks, and he escapes. Uh, so you follow him while he's swimming along and all this stuff. And uh, as per usual, there is a twist ending to this. But, yes. um there's hardly any dialogue whatsoever. Uh, you're, you're, you're virtually focused on the one character all the time and the rest of the world reacting to him. Uh, and I find it super interesting, especially with the way it ended. It was, uh, you know, there, there was no hopeful ending on this one. It was, it was, and it was, it was based on a story by Amber S. Pierce, one of my favorite writers. There you go. Uh, and, and, and that's, and that's, but it, it was so interesting to me because it was completely different from, uh, the rest yeah. of them. Uh, I would say that I got I got two pedestrian ones though that I really love. Of course, Obsolete Man is an easy one. Uh, you know, Burgess Meredith and all that. And uh, th th this one, they've decided the librarian's obsolete. And I mean, mm -hmm. the speeches in that thing, yeah. uh, you could listen to that today and go, uh huh. Uh, yep. <laughs> sounds like every authoritarian possible. Then there's a weird one, and I'm wondering if you guys remember who actually uh, was the star of this one because it's sort of unusual. Uh, there, there was now Hitler shows up in a couple of Twilight Zone episodes, right? Yes. Uh, yep. one of them is, uh, I don't know, there's, it, I, I think it's a Genie in a Bottle or something like this where the store owner ends up with a genie and yeah. the guy, uh, you know, he says, Oh, I want to be the head of a country and he makes him Hitler. Uh, yes. that, that happens at one point and I won't tell you how that ends either. But, um, but there's another one that's really bizarre and they hardly ever play it on TV at all. Which is where this really authoritarian, rabble rousing kind of guy is coming out and really speaking to people in the streets. And it's meant to sort of echo Nazism, 
right. that it's not dead on the nose. You can't really tell what kind of authoritarian this guy is. And you keep wondering where this young guy gets his uh, inspiration from, and it's this person in the shadows staying in the back, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it turns was, out was it Dennis Hopper that was the star of this one? Dennis Hopper was in one. That might That's be it. it. Yeah, That's he, it. He, yeah, the ghost of Adolf Hitler like haunts him. Uh, Dennis Hopper in one. Well, the funny thing is, you can't tell if that's like the ghost of Hitler or if that's supposed to be him just staying in the background, letting other people do the work. See, right. that that's and that's the weird thing. Like Serling doesn't always exposition you to nose. death. Like you got to guess what actually happened there. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, well, does this mean that this guy's still alive and he's just inspiring other people? Or is this just, you know, one is of those... Is he really haunting someone? Or is yeah. it just an archetype that just arrives naturally? And wow. if it does, you know, and see, and that's the thing. It's sort of wide open. Uh, yeah. And if you can get around the fact that, you know, look, there's telephones with wires on it and stuff like that happening. Well, and, it adds to the charm. It's like a time period. Oh, movie, yeah. Uh, period piece. Yeah, and the goofy, like you guys mentioned, the goofy uh, flying saucers and stuff like that. If you could, if you can get around all that, it's really good. I mean, and there's some, there, look, there's a couple of kind of like eh episodes, like uh, the, the guy who's got the computer that falls in love with him. Yeah, uh, the Carol Burnett episode is pretty ridiculous. When he tried to do comedy, there you <laughs> go. Some filler stuff, yeah, yeah. You know, or I, another one I don't like, but seems to be like a fan favorite is uh, the mannequin who uh, you yeah. know, gets out of uh, the department store. Oh, and, I like that one. Yeah, the Aunt Francis. Yeah. Some people love that one, and I I was yeah. bored with that. You know. That uh, was one I saw as a kid, and I, I remember it really that 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 meant I it was pretty. I really scared me. I thought it was so creepy. And uh, then I would go in stores and see mannequins. You know. And, and two, well, I'll tell you this right now, you guys. I don't know if you're going to agree with me because I'm a child of the '80s, like I keep mentioning. But Talking Tina was definitely Chucky. Well, I'll oh, tell yeah, you, yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. But you know, there, there was a lot of weird animatronic stuff that went on. Like the guy who was on the asteroid, who's uh, you know uh, yes. being punished, and they bring him the robot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even yeah. the toy, the toys well, that come to life and that are talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, and they had a couple of the mannequin, uh, the, the, the dummy episodes. One with Cliff Robertson. I think I had another, which uh, later Goosebumps would use a lot. And well, it became yeah, movie, movie Magic with uh, yes, the movie Magic. Yes, yeah, with uh, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was a wild movie. But uh, yeah, of course you had to think of that episode when you saw that. It was like, oh, this is you know Twilight Zone redone. And then of course you know we've had to live through the various reboots, the movie. You know, and now, uh, uh, well, yeah, we had Wes Craven directed a whole bunch of episodes for the 1985 revival. Uh, yeah. St Stephen King's Christine was a complete ripoff of the Twilight Zone episode where the cars, you know, has the mind That's of the right. mm -hmm. Well, even, hey, Don, I'll even do you one better. The one, the one you mentioned earlier about the guy going back to try to save, uh, Lincoln. I mean, yeah. he ripped off with the, uh, the living uh, twenty two sixty three. Right, right, right. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you can make things worse. I'll tell you one other honorable mention I'll give is George Takei appears in an episode where he's a, a Japanese gardener. You ever see this one? It was banned from TV mm -hmm. for like thirty years. Yeah, you. Yeah, you had mentioned it to me, but I had never seen no, it. What's the, what's the plot? I don't remember. The plot is it's a it's a war veteran, and he's drinking beer, and he's just like hanging out in his attic, and he's you know haunted by his memories, can't get along with his wife, whatever. And this uh, young Japanese kid comes up to visit him. He's working on his garden, 
And uh, he starts, you know, they start exchanging different things. And he goes, ah, you're, you know, they tell us you're honorable, good people now. You were the enemy. Blah, blah, blah. Well, now, you know, what oh, I think you are? you're a monkey. <laughs> and, uh, and and then they go after each other. The guy picks up a samurai sword and they start fighting in the, uh, yeah, in, in, in the attic with one another. Like the, the dead spirit of the samurai oh, I comes. I haven't seen that one. Well, you got to see it. It's really and and again they banned it from syndication. They did not show it for at least thirty years anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, again you, you figured that that would be a guaranteed one they would play because George Takei goes on to be known you know later in Star Trek. It's cool. Yeah. So, but no, uh, yeah. If you look it up, it's uh, it's really interesting and and I find the dynamic. I think it's actually well done. It's not just a point of you know about racism and dehumanizing the enemy in wartime. Although those are valid things to bring up, um, it's uh, it, it's just a matter of the dynamic is so intense. And again, it's just two guys. See, I love yeah. I love it when it's just one person. Like even even the one where you got the uh, you know who, who's the actual invader, right? And there's a lady yeah, trying to fight Agnes Moorhead. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't say hardly anything, but no. you know, but she winds up making some noises here and there, and that whole thing. And then you find out well, what, what does it have on this on the flying mm-hmm. saucer, right? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I love that stuff. So the fact that it's just two guys or just one guy doing it, like you don't have yeah. a whole cast, is even better. It's almost like a play, like a setup with a play or whatever. Yeah, very minimal. I, and I, I love even some of the, like, uh, I loved um, Dick York was one of my favorite actors because he's on such a sad life. And uh, I thought the one where he was, where he, uh, he flips a, uh, a coin and it lands on its side and he suddenly can hear everybody's thoughts. I, I for some reason, I always loved that episode. I don't know because it, it, he it was, was the t- first Darren, right? Yes, he was the, first, the good Darren. But he, I, I liked that guy. He was a, he, I just always liked him. And, uh, he, uh, that, it, that episode just, it teaches you, you know, what, cause if you remember, the gist of it is that he, he reports the old guy who is, uh, in his head, he's going over his plans, how he's going to steal money. And go away to a, a you know an island or something. Islands, and, yeah. And right. and because we don't know what thoughts go through people's heads, apparently this is something he dreamed about every day. Right. And he, and he, for and he never was going to do it, but it was like a daydream. And so that's why you know you think about it, that's why the fear of it, that they if they could ever really. Hey, Neuralink, Don, <laughs> Neuralink. <laughs> <laughs> they can never listen to our thoughts, man. Boy, just uh, hey, they're know. on their way, if not already. Who knows? Yeah, Maybe. yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. So we're gonna come back right after this and with some more Twilight Zone tribute. Hey, welcome back to Get Mad with Chris Graves. I'm joined here with my good friend and author, Donald Jeffries. Welcome back. And I have, I want to just start, start off with a little trivia, piece of trivia here that a lot of people probably don't even know about. Uh, Rod Serling, he invited viewers to su- submit a screenplay or a teleplay and he was flooded with over 14,000 scripts and he actually got around to reading about 500 of them. However, only two were any good, he said, and he couldn't use them because they didn't fit the format of the show. So just imagine if he had taken your screenplay 
and turned it into a classic Twilight Zone episode. That sounds like a Twilight Zone plot right there. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back, Don. Um, yeah. Now, did you get into the revival at all in the 1980s? Uh, at the time, not much, but, um, I, later on cable when they would show the, cause they, they revived the Twilight Zone and Outer Limits both at about the same time. Yeah. And they also right. had another, uh, what was it? Strange. So they had some other show that was very similar to it. They started bringing and, on things that were even more hardcore, uh, like Tales from the Dark Side and then yeah. later Tales from the Crypt, which was more comic, comic yeah. based. But, uh, I mean, they, some of them were okay. I mean, they were, uh, again, they weren't up to the level of the original, but I mean, they were, they were watchable and already, you know, there's, there's a sense of nostalgia because if you're watching those things from the eighties now, you get the kind of the eighties stuff, you know, that's, so it's, it's, it's a bit of nostalgia for that. Just like when you watch the Twilight Zone, it's really. And that's where actually Bruce Willis got his start before Moonlighting was on Wes Craven directed episodes of uh, like Shatter Day was one of them mm-hmm. uh, in 1985. Yeah, I, I don't remember. The only one of those episodes I remember uh, had Catherine O'Hara as one of my favorites from SCTV, and she was on it as uh, I. I just remember like she kept getting shot in the head, I, I, something, and she kept surviving. I, I don't remember much about it, but it I was, thought uh, that was her audition tape for Home Alone. But I could be <laughs> wrong. Could be wrong. But uh, yeah, no, uh, actually, I have a little connection, real, real small connection to that um, that revival in the eighties. And when you hear it, you're going to be like, that's not a connection at all. But I was an extra in a movie that was directed by Richard Kelly, the guy who made the movie Donnie Darko with Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm-hmm. Um, he made he updated a, a story by Richard Matheson that I believe was in the original um, Twilight Zone called Button Button. He made it into a film called The Box where uh, Cameron Diaz, she would uh, hit the button and get good fortune and at the same time someone else on on the planet would have really bad misfortune at the same time and it was all about greed and you know what what are you oh, i think i saw that i think yeah, yeah yeah so that's my little connection which is not really a connection at all but i was an extra in the background with uh my goofy face and all that so well, there you go that's uh not everybody can say that but yeah it, it was uh yeah i think it's uh, one of the um one of the classic episodes, classic television shows because it, it really was unique. And that's what made most of those, uh, television shows from that era that are still, still resonate, you know, that are, because mm-hmm. they were, you know, Green, actually Green Acres is another one because it was surrealist, surrealistic and it really, yeah. uh, you know, it, 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 it uh, really, uh, Chris, brought can, out some. Can we actually see you in that movie? Or, or did you make it to the, uh, final cut? Are you well, actually visible? there's a big deleted scene where I'm chasing uh, Cameron Diaz around in the Boston Public Library, but that got that's on the cut, cutting room floor. So right now, how would have been great if you got? Yeah, I know <laughs> story of my life, dollar <laughs> dollar short and a day too late or whatever. Um, yeah, if you have a good pause button and a zoom button, I'm right there on full display in the background. Oh man, that's way better than I was ever able to do in my two extra shots. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you were helping Arnold uh, uh, pump it up, right? And uh, twins. Uh, yeah, no, I was. Uh, I, there, there's a scene from the boxing gym that was not used that I was in there, and you, you probably could have seen me there. And the only other place is there. There's uh, a bunch of kids in the background and lean on me, uh, which was filmed in Jersey. 
that's it. Lean on me. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There, there's this scene uh, where there's just a huge crowd, and that's it. They they gave I forget what it was. It was very a couple dollars. To everybody who would do the crowd scene, and you can't see anybody's face at all. I don't care. You got a microscope. You ain't seeing it. So, uh, yeah. Exactly. So I'm on the cutting room floor and I'm a shadow somewhere other than that. But we can actually see your face in that film, huh? Well, not really my face, but my big fat frame in the background. So I'm kind of, you know, well, at least I, uh, I guess I'm screwing up the shot or whatever. But, but enough <laughs> about my uh, cinematic dreams and uh, <laughs> cool. everything. You guys enjoy the uh, the film the film version in 1983. No. I mean, let's just put it this way: you know, Vic Morrow aside, the yeah. actual stories involved. No, no, I didn't like it at all. I, I didn't get it because I was a fan of the fan of the series, and I knew it wouldn't be that good. And then I I was pissed off because uh, two you know the two kids had died, especially. Um, you remember John Landis, the director, was sued, and uh, he was yeah. he he got off, and he. He wasn't very. Uh, he held a party, Don. Yeah, yeah. He was. He didn't show. I mean, I, he, no matter. Even if it wasn't. So I'm not saying it was his fault, but he didn't show. I mean, if I had directed a movie, two little kids, let alone an actor, got killed, I, it would shake me up. They were and there I, legally as well. Yeah, yeah, and it just he uh, he just didn't. He just had that kind of you know inappropriate smile on his face. So I've never liked him since then, even though he did, you know, he did a lot of movies. And well, he wrote back to me and everything. So I, you know, I agree with you. I mean, for those that don't know what we're talking about, the Twilight Zone movie was in 1983 during the production. Uh, there was various segments filmed, written and filmed by different filmmakers. Like I believe Richard Donner directed the one about uh, the people in the old folks home. It was kind of like a lighthearted thing where they wanted to be children again. Then you had um, you had the one what Don is talking about with uh, John Landis, and this was the only story that wasn't an updated version of a previous uh, Twilight Zone episode. It was like a brand new thing. It was about a bigot played by Vic Morrow, who, uh, for those that don't know, Jennifer Jason Lee, the actress that was her father, and I think they were actually estranged at the time. But anyway, this was an actor named Vic Morrow from the old uh, show called Combat that I brought up earlier. And during the, him being a bigot in the story, he was uh, transported back in time uh, to like Nazi Germany where he was being chased by Nazis because they thought he was a, a Jewish person. Then he was um, transported to the Deep South with the KKK and they thought he was a, a black person. But the third segment that they were filming was supposed to take place during Vietnam and involve uh, Vic Morrow actually redeeming himself uh, from being a, a bigot and trying to rescue two Vietnamese children from American forces. They get rescued, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In real life, they had a helicopter that was hovering over the the set, and John Landis kept screaming for the, you know, the helicopter operator to keep getting lower and lower, and then the helicopter got so low that one of the special effects ex uh, explosive devices basically uh, – did something ignited too close to the rotor blade in the back. So the helicopter went flying all over the place, all out of control and ended up landing at a very unfortunate angle that decapitated Vic Morrow and one of the children and yeah. crushed the other 
child as well. And it was a big scandal. It was one of the first real like Hollywood uh, scandal trials, like before OJ Simpson, you know, in 94. But yeah, no, that has, I have to agree with you. It, I mean, they, the only thing I liked about it, Don, is the fact that they were able to bring back, um, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, from Burgess Meredith. He was mm-hmm. able to narrate the movie because <laughs> by this point in 1982, yeah. Rod yeah, Serling had been dead for about seven years. Yeah, well, it's it's it was one of the it was one of Hollywood's first um, uh, you know remake kind of it will become such a big deal later in the 90s and the 2000s where they all they just kept remaking all these old shows, horrible remakes of the Beverly Hillbillies and things like that. Just that you can't possibly the Three Stooges movies you can't possibly recreate yeah. those things. And the Twilight Zone, it's one thing if you have a, a, a rebooted series like the 80s where you're trying to tell new stories, but you're not going to tell those classic Twilight Zone stories any better in the 80s. And so it's, it's, I just thought it was stupid. Especially, yeah. especially for the times that they were in in the 60s with, uh, you know, civil unrest and, uh, you know, uh, race relations and bigotry and everything and, uh, and the war. I mean, we'd never really gotten away from war. But he was really anti-war from all accounts, Rod Serling. Yeah, oh yeah, he was. But it, so it's, it's just, I just think that um, it's silly. And we see, I mentioned The Simpsons earlier. We see, you know, the, the problem is that these shows tend to reflect a certain time period. And uh, we see something like The Simpsons where uh, it's, it's almost like the show has been remade several times because that was a 90s show. And yeah. uh, for, for it to still be on the air in the 2020s is just absurd. It's just not, it's not like you couldn't rerun leave it to Beaver for 40 years. I mean, just, it's just, it's a fifties, late fifties show. And that, that's the twilight zone was an early sixties show. I mean, that's basically. Even late fifties even. Yeah. Late fifties, early sixties. And it was, it was a a space age show, a JFK getting elected. I mean, that was the era, even though it talked about lots of uh, other stuff. That was uh, like yeah, the atomic like, age coming in. And everything. Right, right. I mean, there's there. I mean, there are shows like you know Andy Griffith is kind of timeless because it's set in a community that I don't know if it ever really existed, but it's a very slow thing where it's uh, you know. But you have other shows like All in the Family is one that's that's it's really dated when you watch it now, even yeah. because it's just because there's so many references to the Equal Rights Amendment and things things that people don't remember. Right. Yeah, argument. So, and, and well, so if that was a statue, they'd want to tear it down now. You know? Yeah, exactly. But, but, but Twilight Zone was, uh, again, at its best, it, it kept out the, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't talk about necessarily, um, things that were happening that were, you know, endemic to the area, like the, the space age stuff. Like I said, my favorite episodes are ones like Persons or Persons Unknown, Stop yeah. Over in a Small Town. Those ones that, uh, that could happen in any time period, you know, anybody yeah. in 2020 where you, you could, you could wake up and, you know, just to me, that's the, that is the ultimate twilight zone experience to have you wake up and have your wife screaming at you. Who are you? And then you go down to the, where you work and have them say, who are, you know, no, you can't prove who you are. You've lost your identity. And uh, <laughs> that, that is really, that's a twilight zoney thing. And you could trans, you could put it in any era. Well, now, well, now with uh, black ops being <laughs> seemingly everywhere, it's it's like we are in the twilight zone right now. Yeah, and that one, that one, and, and number twelve looks just like you, obsolete mantle. I, I love the ones that had kind of a conspiratorial thing to it because that you know at one point in person or persons, I know Richard Richard Longus goes, uh, you know, ah, 
but there's you thought you thought you thought of everything, didn't you? Like he's talking about here. There's but there's one thing you didn't think of, and he, he got this picture where he's taken with his wife at the zoo, and somehow they've they've taken her out of the picture or something like that. But it was you could tell like he was like they're you know they're doing this to me. What you know what are you doing is like a huge conspiracy, and uh, so of course I related to that, but. Um, Well, also, uh, there's an honorable mention before we uh, wrap up here. Um, I'm just writing it. I was writing it down just now. The Last Flight was a favorite of mine, too. And and that one was written by Richard Matheson. And I hope I'm getting it right. It's where they basically they're they're flying through a vortex, almost like a yeah. uh, like a Bermuda Triangle type thing. And they fly into the deep past with like dinosaurs and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then that has a twist ending that I I won't give away either, but yeah. um, that could be uh, at any era that type of story. Yeah, the premise yeah. the the concept. You know, they well they did several of those. They played around with uh, airplanes. I, well, my, yeah. my favorite in that regard is uh, I can't remember the title of it, but it's the one where the uh, the airliner lands and there's nobody on board. <laughs> that's one, that's yeah. another one. It reminds yeah, me of like Stephen King uh, doing yeah, the yeah. Langoliers or whatever. Was. Yeah, well, Stephen King is just, he just he just copied it. <laughs> he, just, he looked at a lot of old Twilight Zone episodes, but uh, some people think he shot John Lennon too, John. So uh, that's well, a whole other episode. I, wouldn't, I don't like him, but I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no, I know. some people actually think that. I don't know. But anyway, um, before we actually do uh, end the the fun, and uh, this has been a fun departure from the usual dreariness of everyday life, um, I had asked Chuck uh, before the show if he remembered uh, a certain thing that, and I, I was wanted, I wanted to get your take on it real quick if you had a take. Um, do you remember after JFK was assassinated, uh, Rod Serling was commissioned by the new administration to to do a video, to do a, uh, a film project on LBJ, almost like a propaganda piece, but maybe not quite that, that bad. But do you remember that at all? It was like uh, a documentary for LBJ. I, uh, so he made it. I'm surprised he made it. If he made it, then I'm a little disappointed. I am surprised too. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, one of those things you can't really find anymore. Yeah. See, this is well, one of those things. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those things that, uh, like, I've heard about in legend, but I've never seen it myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, that, uh, that he was asked to, uh, you know, and, and the legend started, I think, with him trying to put out something to give, you know, calm people down about what was going on. And yeah. then, uh, and then it turns into something like a propaganda piece about LBJ somehow. And yeah. I've never seen the footage and I've seen a lot of like stuff that wasn't meant to be aired. Um, you know, that Surly did, but I guarantee there's a vault somewhere with a whole bunch of stuff that we never saw, you know, from the original Twilight Zone. There's probably <laughs> daily sitting somewhere, you know, m much like what we got with the Roddenberry vault, like in 2019, right? When uh, when his kid finally was like, "Hey, look, there's all these film canisters sitting here," you know, there, there's probably a pile sitting somewhere uh, of a bunch of stuff, and I wonder if it's in there, Don. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly could be, but I, I, you know, that would be something where I I, I hope we don't find it because <laughs> I, right. I, I don't want to, especially if Rod Serling is narrated, if he's if that great voice is being used to extol the virtues of LBJ, I, I, so, <laughs> that would ruin it for me, I think. Could be, could be. And you, well, and you know, sometimes these things get filmed and then shelved because, you know, somebody thinks better of it later. But, uh, I mean, it's a possibility it exists. Or, or then again, it could be just the stuff of legends, 
right? Well, I have I have this. Uh, I'll end it with uh, this right here. It's a little excerpt here. Um, there's someone that had posted in one of uh, the education forums, mm-hmm. Don. Uh, you know, the ones that you love so much, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it says right here, uh, by David Lifton, uh, is mm-hmm. the member. Uh, I don't know if it's the same one that probably, most likely. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's, uh, a post that says, I am currently reading Gordon F. Sanders' book, Serling, The Rise and Twilight of Television's Last Angry Man. Sanders says that within days of the assassination in the United States Information Agency, an organization very much under the control of the CIA, commissioned Serling to produce a documentary for international distribution about LBJ. Serling accepted the contract, and afterwards, LBJ sent him his profound thanks for his work. So there you go. Well, that's uh, well. <laughs> so I had, <laughs> I have heard and read elsewhere though that he, that he was a very uh, big skeptic, and I think he publicly uh, spoke out about the Warren report. I think you know. I don't. Oh know yeah. Well, according to this, it was like immediately after the assassination. So yeah. maybe uh, he didn't. You know, he wasn't familiar yet with you know things like rush to judgment because they hadn't they no. hadn't written yet. So maybe. Right. You know? Well, but for the record. Uh, yeah. David Lifton as a source right. outside of, yeah, is, is already questionable in my mind. By the way, there, there, there have been two David Liftons I've encountered over the years. Uh, one of them, everybody knows who <laughs> right. he is. Uh, but either one of them, I would be skeptical. Uh, and, and I would want to see that book and I'd want to see that film myself. So. Me too. Yeah. All right. Fair enough, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, I hope that wasn't a down, a down, a twist ending here that we didn't really want. But um, I really had some fun with you guys, and uh, this is something I'd like to revisit in the future at some kind of podcast situation. And uh, sure. I think more people, the generation coming up, is really missing out if uh, it just you know kind of fades away into obscurity, you know, in things like TikTok and all this other crap that has taken over. So anyway, Don, um, thank you for uh, for being here and just tell all the folks where they can find your work and uh, if they can contact you if you're not being shadow banned with yeah. Spanish. Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little, they're throwing everything at me. But, uh, well, the, the the place to go is, is, is Substack. They're not uh, – that's the one place I can get uh, my uh, stuff out, you know, unfettered and uncensored. That's uh, donaldjeffries.substack.com called I Protest, just like my Friday show. Live streaming show on Rockfin, American Plugged Rockfin. Uh, my website is Donald Jeffries at Media. My book on the, the pandemic will be out very shortly. I'm just waiting for Sherry Tenpenny's in forward. And, um, so I'll be letting everybody know about that. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you, uh, seek out the things that we were talking about because, uh, it's pretty cool. I'll talk to you soon.